0: Welcome to the Fallon Forum, where we bring you independent voices and civil dialogue across the political divide. That will certainly be true today. Uh, We have an interesting conversation coming up later. This is Ed Fallon. I'm your host, and we're coming to you from the cultural and culinary crossroads of America, Des Moines, Iowa. Hey, if you like what we do, folks, we could sure use your support. You can go to the donations page on the Fallon Forum website. You know, donate, become a sponsor. If you're a business or a nonprofit, you can also become a sponsor. And speaking of sponsors, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's Des Moines locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Gateway's cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out and delivery service seven days a week. Gateway also has excellent catering and floral services. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. Check out Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page. Hey, thanks to Des Moines Irish Session for our bumper music. Loving that, loving those tunes. Uh, hey, what we've got for you today, well, let's see. Um, our farm and food segment, uh, we're going to be discussing the myth, yes, the myth, that America feeds the world. Now, that's not a blast at our farmers. It's just a sobering truth. Let's, look, at it, look at the truth. Uh, and as always, of course, that's my opinion. Other opinions are welcome. Uh, Charles Goldman will be joining me later in the program. We'll be talking about the um, shape and dynamics of the Republican presidential primary. We'll also be taking a look at the Democratic Party, and that conversation will kick off with a quote. And that quote is, Democrats are more irrelevant than ever, end quote. We'll let you guess the source of that observation. But first I'm very pleased to welcome Katie O'Hara to the program. Besides an awesome Irish surname, Katie and I share similar perspectives on a lot of issues. One thing we disagree on is pipelines. In fact, she's recently retired from thirty-five years as an attorney representing pipeline companies in Texas. Knowing that we have a different viewpoint on the topic, Katie, I really appreciate you coming on the program.
1: Sure. Happy to be here. Thanks so much.
0: So uh, I mean, you you mentioned that we have a lot in common politically, or, or at least in terms of issues. So you're not you're not uh, you're not a right wing Trump voter. no no Trump.
1: far from it. I'm a card carrying ACLU member. I have been a tireless worker in uh, especially in Harris County the last 25 years. Um, I'm a I've been block walking, uh, phone banking, putting my money where my mouth is, um, working pretty tirelessly for candidates and we have turned Harris County blue.
0: So, so you, but you're not, you're not, are you an anomaly within your profession?
1: No, I am not. There are many, I think that surprises some There are many like-minded people. Um, and, and even in my energy industry, there were more people than not who believed just what I did, had similar values, similar political perspectives as me.
0: So there are a couple of different perspectives where where I come from on, on pipelines. One is I, I don't like the impact that, that uh, well, that certainly a moving oil through pipelines has on climate change. And I would argue that we have concerns about how CO2 pipelines will also exacerbate climate change. That's one concern. The other is eminent domain. But let's start with the first one, climate change. Um, how does somebody who... Probably understands that climate change is happening and is a big deal. How does how does that interact with your your uh, ability to defend pipeline companies in lawsuits? I, I, maybe that's not the best way to well, ask that I'd, question. I right?
1: never defended them in lawsuits. I was a oh, reg- okay. regulatory attorney who okay. was making sure that we comply and also, as new regulations develop, um, make sure that that the things we're being asked to do are doable or will oh. not bankrupt us. And uh, that that kind of thing. So,
0: so, uh, so a pipeline attorney, putting that in quotes, isn't somebody who's always representing the pipeline company against, say, climate activists or landowners. There are plenty of other no I, niches there. There, there
1: there's um, uh, pipeline companies are extremely regulated, and I only I didn't do safety regulations and many of the other types of regulations on pipelines. I I. Worked in the area of um, uh, economics, uh, the rates that pipelines can charge, um, their terms of service that they can charge, and also certifications of new pipelines.
0: Okay, so with uh, FIMSA as it's called. The no, I didn't do FIMSA. FIMSA okay. is
1: on the on the safety. Okay. end of things. And I, I know enough about FIMSA would be dangerous, Whoa. but I never, really, <laughs> I never really practiced in that area. Well, so
0: many layers here. So again, about the, about the concerns regarding climate change, uh, you know, again, central to the scientific argument is that we need to stop uh, expanding the capacity to, to you know, extract and produce and, and fuel our economy on fossil fuels. That if we keep doing that, we're going to be in big trouble.
1: Well, I would agree with you there. And I think that, you know, it, it's a matter of Rome not being built in a day. And the the company that I worked for uh, for the last 10 years, um, that I'm intimately aware of, of their direction and, and where they're going. They they see the writing on the wall that at some point pipelines are not going to be, they're, they're not the wave of the future. There are things that have been around for for hundred years, and so um, it, it, we we are ultimately moving to green energy, but it's it's a matter of time.
0: But you say they're not the wave of the future, but I mean, according to science, that future is now. We need to move beyond them immediately, and yet we're still opening up new opportunities for fossil fuel extraction in the in the Arctic and and now in the Gulf under the Biden administration. Uh, is, isn't, is isn't 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 that, isn't that time?
1: Well, the um, whenever just to for. Whenever you um, tap an oil well, that the first day of production is the most you're ever going to get out of that well, hmm. and um, so when you say there's a new production happening, a lot of time is replacing what is getting petered out elsewhere, and so you're not maybe net net adding a lot of oil into the into the system. You're just keeping up with what had been there before that is hmm. getting depleted.
0: And a side question that, that is, really, is not really related to climate, and I, I'm the only person I ever know who asked this question. Uh, <laughs> what happens to all that space in the Earth that used to accommodate oil and gas and is now emptied of that product? What happens? I mean, I have this vision of the entire Earth like just collapsing within itself one day, be just the whole planet becoming a giant sinkhole.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Why am I off the wall? I, I don't know. I've never, I've never thought about that. I know that
1: sometimes when they deplete um, oil reserves within a salt formation, they turn those salt formations into gas storage facilities. And I don't know how they do that, but they some, somehow they do that with those caverns. Does, but that's so, the only thing I know about that. Is there ever
0: <laughs> any discussion within the industry about what happens to that space beyond the occasional refilling it with gas? No?
1: Uh, there probably is, but okay. you know that's not kind of where... I'm not a scientist, and I never, never then, have talked with people about that. And maybe but, maybe I'm off the wall, but I and I and, I, and I'm, I'm just on the on the pipeline side of things. Sure. I'm, I think if I had worked for producers, I would maybe understand that and yeah. could be a little more intelligent about answering that question. So I want
0: to talk about eminent domain as well, but but first, uh, how did how did how did I guess two questions? How did you get into this business? And then second question how did we get into the business of building pipelines? Take um, a, take a, your well, package in, here when you want to Well, in law
1: with. school, uh, as I was looking towards graduation, I needed a job. <laughs> and a large law firm came down from te- or came up to University of Iowa from Texas and said we need people for X, Y, and Z and I really I liked the people who worked in the Energy regulatory section, and I thought I I could be having lunch with these people for the next twenty years. I better like them, and so <laughs> I I adored the people I worked with, and that's
0: and did that hold constant throughout your thirty-five years <laughs> yeah, in the industry? Yeah, yeah, really? Okay, yeah. Well, that's that I've been be...
1: I've been lucky. I've I've worked with wonderful, wonderful people who yeah. are highly intelligent and and actually and do gooders as well. I would so, say. So
0: how did we, the U.S., get into pipeline transportation? I mean, it, it wasn't that big of a deal. In the way it is now, I mean, it's become a much, much more prominent and politically charged issue all over the country. But uh, my understanding is it's not that recent that we started, I mean, it was a long time ago that we started building pipelines.
1: Yeah, well, the U.S. has been producing oil in large quantities since the 1860s, so the kind of Civil War era. And that, was, that all started in Pennsylvania and then in Ohio. And there were a few smaller pipelines built at that time. Meanwhile, in Texas, I think it was 1901, that um, Spindletop Pipeline was a gusher, and um, there suddenly there was a, a, a huge uh, like gold rush down to Texas. Black um, gold. Black gold, yeah. and that oil was um, brought to the Northeast to make cars, to make um, steel, etc., by barge, and by um, train. In the early 40s, the US was producing 60% of the world's oil capacity. So
0: prior to and during World War II.
1: Yeah, most of the oil in the early 40s was being brought up to the Northeast by oil tankers. And what a lot of people don't realize is that German U-boats were circling the Gulf of Mexico and um, the Eastern seaboard they sank 46 oil tankers. They damaged 17. The U.S. had sent 50 of them full of oil to help uh, the U.K. fight the Germans. I'm surprised I'm surprised that didn't and,
0: amount to a declaration of war right there. It, <laughs> I mean, just from a strategic point of view, you would think yeah, that, that would have been enough to uh, tip the U.S. government no, to but, say, okay, this it, is an act of war.
1: It became the highest priority of the U.S. government to build Pipelines to bring oil from Texas hmm. to the New York City area, and um, they devoted 16,000 people to uh, that they needed for war efforts and other things um, so, to build these pipelines. Anyway, I've, I was, so that that fascinates
0: me. I mean, instead of responding to the German attacks on carriers transporting oil from Texas up to the East Coast, instead of maybe going out there and blowing a few German U-boats up. They decided to build an entire pipeline. Oh, they tried there? to.
1: Br- they tried to get those U-boats. They were they, 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 they were was, crafty.
0: Okay, really, that <laughs> yeah, crafty. Our, they could. Okay. Our
1: our naval facilities were not up to snuff, and I, to the extent that we had people, um, it it just it was. They were in Hawaii. They were elsewhere, mm. and. Uh, okay. Anyway, it, be, it became, the, the, those pipelines became very, very important to winning the war.
0: Hmm, interesting. So, hey, jump jump ahead. Uh, and I, I wonder what the um, uh, story was at that time regarding land being taken to build these pipelines. Maybe there was resistance. I don't know. I, I assume there might have been. But uh, nowadays, the last decade or so, the resistance to pipelines has been... Uh, I mean, newsworthy, nation, nationally, internationally, even on an ongoing basis. Uh, Indigenous people, certainly, and farmers and landowners do not want their land taken for a pipeline. And um, there's a lot of, in a lot of cases, in most cases, uh, eminent domain is being used to to do that. Sometimes they're getting, the pipeline company is getting a majority of landowners to sign. In many cases, there's a bunch that hold out and need to be, you know, need to be have their land condemned in order to build those pipelines. How do you feel about the use of eminent domain in that capacity?
1: Well, um, it's a complicated question. It's, you know, politics are a matter of balancing. And when you have eminent domain, it's a balancing of your private rights versus the public need. And um, in my own case, I've worked on um, projects there. there there's um, no federal uh, eminent domain power of, for it to build oil pipelines. There is for gas pipelines hmm. on the federal level. There may and there. I don't know what the, is going on with the states, but um, for my federal pipelines um, that I've gotten certificated uh, on the natural gas side. Um, the agency that oversees the certification takes their eminent domain tasks very seriously. They they want to make sure that there are many, many, many hoops that a company has to run through to get uh, a, a pipeline certificated market need. How is the project going to be capitalized? Um, where exactly will it be built? What environmental? Um, uh, uh, matters are, are going to be addressed in the construction. Um, what what are the cons- actual construction plans? Where or is the pipe yard going to be? I mean, it's down to the nth mm-hmm. degree.
0: And and yet, you know, for the most part, at least I can speak for Iowa more than other states. But the uh, even in, in in Minnesota, South Dakota, North Dakota, Nebraska, it's been it's it's been pretty much a slam dunk. The uh, the regulating authorities have been very able, very willing, despite. Huge public opposition to using eminent domain for these purposes. Yeah, here, the Iowa Utilities Board has been very content to um, allow previously the Dakota Access Pipeline to use eminent domain, and there's a lot of concern that that you know that that that, uh, that shift from using eminent domain for a strictly public purpose to now also allowing private purposes that that's going to continue. Uh-huh. I mean, I, I'm concerned about that.
1: Yeah. Well, as I said, it's it's a matter of balancing, and um, and it, it's especially, uh, you know, Iowa is kind of a crossroads for a lot of pipelines because to get it from Colorado to New York, you're gonna cross here. To get it from Texas to Canada, you're gonna have to cross uh, Iowa or somewhere nearby, and so and and in the in the um, balancing process you know it's not just a matter of local or state concerns it's um it's people in new jersey need um natural gas and so the the interests of iowans are going to be affected by Mm. something that they won't even perhaps benefit that much from and that's why it's a federal statute Mm. that kind of imposes the will of
0: the nation as a
1: whole Onto that's for gas. For gas, yeah, not yeah. for oil, right? For for oil, there's yeah. no comparable right. element domain. Um, yeah,
0: and it's a fair question. I mean, because you know yeah. here, nobody is benefiting from the Dakota Access Pipeline oil running through Iowa. You can't tap. Well, into there's that.
1: there's maybe a few jobs here and there. Yeah. but but you're right. right. The 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 net benefit goes to the producers who are selling and the consumers who are buying, mm-hmm. and the people in the middle, maybe not so much, but that's, that's kind of where we are with our, our federal laws.
0: One last question, uh, back to climate change again, with science being really clear that we are at an urgent moment. I mean, they, 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 I don't know how they can make it any more emphatic. We need to change now. Yeah. Are, are, the, are the clients you've worked with up to that task? Are they going to change now?
1: We Well, it would be very difficult to change now, and we had kind of a tabletop exercise with that with the Colonial Pipeline mm. not that long ago. It right. was um, subject to a um, ransomware attack. The p- company did not know how far these people were into their system, and so as a precaution, they shut it down for three or four days. Just in those three or four days, you had... Um, Three states declaring state of emergency. You had prices for gas going up forty percent. You had um, absolute mayhem and people out of their minds. And that's kind of what a day without pipelines looks like. Oh, writ, the, writ uh, small.
0: You mean the movie How to Blow Up a Pipeline?
1: That well, that's I, the same
0: premise is that they shut it down.
1: Yeah. Um, so uh, it, it, but I, I just just to yeah. say that and, and that,
0: that's not at all an endorsement of blowing a pipeline. No no but <laughs>
1: um, but there it, it can't happen overnight and um, you know there are a lot of green, really worthy green projects that are um, uh, you know people are had them on the drawing board, but they can't be built because there's no um, electric transmission for mm. them. And so you know it's like we want it to have green Well, you have to have a lot of other things over here to do these things that are good over there. Yeah. And, and it's, um, it's more complicated than a lot of people think.
0: Well, because I'm the host, I get to have the last word. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> and what you said about, uh, about the U.S., um, I mean, I, th- I think the, the, the shift from shipping oil around the Gulf, around Florida, by boat, by ship, uh, versus building the pipeline infrastructure, that took, I think, 16 months.
1: Sixteen months of very right. dedicated... Boom. That's what we need now
0: <laughs> is 16 months of very dedicated transition from fossil fuels to a more renewable system. Well,
1: from, from your mouth to God's <laughs> ear. <I laughs> all hope, right. I well, hope that that would happen.
0: Right. I hope God's listening. <laughs> <laughs> you
1: never know. Katie,
0: thank you so much for joining us. Folks, we've been talking with Katie O'Hara. She's a, a retired, uh, recently retired from 35 years as an attorney representing pipeline companies in Texas. Again, this is Ed Fallon. You're on. You're listening to the Fallon Forum. We've got to take a short break, and when we come back, uh, Charles Goldman's going to join me for a deep dive into politics, both Republican and Democrat. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Market and Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses wines and craft beer gateway's cafe is open for dine-in carry out and delivery service seven days a week stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details gateway market good food great community
2: you're responsible for a lot and it's easy to become overwhelmed to feel helpless even hopeless what's not so easy is finding your way back to feeling and functioning better Psychiatrist, Dr. David Drake, helps individuals and couples throughout Iowa with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. Dr. Drake also prescribes medication when needed, and his services are offered on a self-pay basis. If you need help, don't delay. Contact Dr. Drake at (laughs) daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com.
0: Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Thanks to our sponsors, including Western Optometry, located in Des Moines' East Village. Dr. Joel Westrom and his staff are fluent in English and Spanish. The clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Western Optometry. All right, Charles Goldman is with me in the studio. We just can't seem to get rid of this guy. Charles, (laughs) how are you doing today? Pretty good, guys. Okay, I got a pop quiz for you, all right? Uh, the answer is cocaine bear. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, The the question the question wasn't what is your favorite stoned animal.
3: Uh, <laughs> no, I, I I I know that you and Kathy did see that movie. I did not. We saw it, so you don't have to.
1: Same reason. Thank same reason I listened yeah, to, uh, you described
0: it for it radio. to. You described it to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was um, <laughs> it was ridiculous. It would have been perfect if the movie. Of the raging bear high on cocaine, killing people left and right. It would have been beautiful if it had ended by getting that bear stoned on on marijuana and having him totally mellow out and become like a dancing bear, like the kind of bear you could invite over for dinner. Well, Well, it was was based on a true story. Well, barely. Barely. No pun intended. All right. Hey, so moving on. Okay. So, um, again, this is specifically to Iowa, but it could be, it could apply to most places in the country. Mm. So, here's a quote. Democrats are more irrelevant than ever, and I, I, I'm going to give you multiple choice answers, Charles. Who said that? A. Governor Kim Reynolds of Iowa. B. Barack Obama. C. A democratic a Democrat in the state legislature of Iowa. Yeah. D. Donald Trump. C. Oh, you are correct. Ding, 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 <laughs> ding, ding. You win this prize, whatever that is. Yeah. That that. I mean that. I, I don't know how many Democrats feel that, but. Um, I would agree, actually, that unfortunately the party has become pretty much irrelevant. And again, not just in Iowa, but in plenty of places around the country.
3: Well, I think the, the Republican strategy to um, allow the Democrats, as they did, to focus almost entirely on national races, in particular the presidency. So,
0: so say more about that. What do You mean the, the DNC, the National Democrats. The National Committee's okay. focus
3: was on national races, Because, you know, they're the most wedded to a federal system as the way to enact change. And from the 70s onward, um, there was a very uh, gradual but consistent strategy on the part of the Republicans to say that they were going to control the governorships in the state legislatures. And then when they got the opportunity, they were able to reverse some of the changes that had come predominantly through the courts at the federal right, level because by going back to states' rights sure. and finding people who would do, go along with it. And also by every 10
0: years uh, creating districts that uh, gerrymandering uh, the legislative and congressional districts so that they assured a Republican majority even in states that didn't have a Democrat. Right, and there were a
3: couple of Democratic states that did the same. Yeah, But, but, but not, yeah. Pen- I'm not going to give this false Illinois, equivalency yeah. here. Well, right, New York right. in particular, Maryland sure. had to uh, also, reverse their redistricting, you know, redistricting. But, um, yes, I think that, you know, one thing you can say about the, the Republicans is that they were willing to play the long game. So Democrats became—the Democrats are less relevant than ever, in part because
0: uh, Republicans were good about—they uh, had a strategy that worked from the bottom up that controlled the state houses. Right, and controlled- now they're moving
3: it down further. They're moving it to the school boards and, and even lower-level positions that they're trying to control.
0: Yeah, and that's um a commendable strategy in terms of
3: political accomplishment.
0: It's horrible in terms of policy, in oh, terms absolutely. of its impact on people's lives. But why why is the why why does the Democratic National Committee and the poobahs inside the Beltway allow this to have what why do they not see the sense in engaging at the same at the same level in these kinds of down ticket races? <laughs>
3: You have the you I, have the answer, don't you? I don't have the answer. <laughs> I I mean I think that um, at every level, I, I, the Democrats mystify me. I mean, for instance, this whole the whole issue of Diane Feinstein's position on the judiciary. Well, I why, mean, why is she still in office? Well, the problem oh, is gosh. the problem is that even if she steps out of office and they reappoint someone into that position. Who will be a Democrat? Obviously, obviously because Gavin Newsom. They the they will them. never be able. They can't put another person on the judicial com- on the judiciary committee. Why be- not? Because they would then have to make an agreement again, as though they were restarting the session with the Republicans as to the distribution of seats on, and how they're going to replace people on that committee. So, the Democrats you can only- you can't just replace one Democrat with another. That's correct. That's oh, that, really? That's correct.
0: Wait wait what what if uh, what if for some reason.
3: The Democrat appointed. To you can a only do it with the acquiescence of the Republicans. You need sixty votes. Oh well, that's going to do that. happen. Right. <laughs> no. So you know you end up with this, the only solution the Democrats have is they need to wheel her into you know the committee room and say do your job as best you can. So they should kidnap no, her. Kidnap her. No, they fly her the on Air Force her, One to fly D.C. her back and say, look, we need to get these justices now. It's the same thing. Why didn't they just, when they had control of both houses, why didn't they just pass the debt ceiling themselves and tell the Republicans, "Yeah, go screw yourself? And they should be telling the Republicans the same thing. Great. Why why not? There isn't any reason. Because, you know why? Because there are a number of Democrats who are dinos, Democrats in name only. That's exactly what happened to Obamacare, Mm -hmm. right? Um, There are centrists and corporatists who... Well, I, I, let's, you know, let's, let's not call, call them centers, Let's call them corporatists. They're corporatists, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. who are not down with the program. But by the same token, because of the narrow margin, you can't lose anybody.
0: Yeah.
3: So, um, but, you know, their messaging on this is just horrendous. And it's same messaging. I mean, they could have run Hillary Clinton's campaign totally on the Supreme Court and said, you know what's going to happen if the Republicans win? They're going to revoke, you know. They're going to overturn Roe v. Wade. I mean, it, what, wasn't it, no, it wasn't it that hard. It wasn't that difficult to, to foresee no. it coming. Right. RPG wasn't going to last much longer well, than she did. Yeah. You know, and. You well, know, and it is another case. It's, I know she gets lots of
0: praise and all that, but that was a really selfish move on her part not to, not to step
3: down. I agree. I think everyone agrees with that. I think yeah. she, did, she, she did not think that Clinton was going to lose. Right. It was obviously a horrible calculation but it, it, it's just that a lot of people look at the democrats and see them just as much a tool of the oligarchs and the corporations in many ways as yeah, the republicans and, and how do you uh, i and i how do you how do you argue against that <laughs>
0: well it is, no it's difficult I
3: mean, it's difficult to argue against that they certainly are a pro war party uh, well i don't know that they're a pro war party well, they, but they certainly get, seem
0: very good about fighting wars they
3: they get they get played by the republicans who say you know, it is true, sure. Which war well, Vietnam war was absolutely run by Democrats, mm-hmm. right? Because they were being told they were soft on communism and they got driven along with some of these intellectual Democrats like yeah. the the Bundy brothers into believing that there really was something that could be done about what was going on in Vietnam.
0: Iraq war, initiative like well, 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 Bush well, yeah, with Democrats, you well, know. Well,
3: of cool. course, well, of course there was because 9/11 had happened. Did you really want to stand up as a party and say we're not going to go in Iraq when all the people were being fed was that Iraq was behind the whole thing. Yeah. Well, you know, a, a little bit of digging into the truth back then would have shown you
0: otherwise. There were there were there were legislators, there were co- members of Congress and the U.S. Senate who saw what was going on. I agree. I agree. And, and but it took and, a lot of courage. Well, they, nobody, and nobody other people knew knew it was a lie, but they went along with it because they were concerned about public opinion. That's not leadership. And I, I think that's a big part of why the Democratic well, Party agree. is irrelevant. It has lacked the kind of, you know, leadership that has truly placed it at odds with the corporatist, with the uh, with the oligarch, mm. you know, the oligarchy. And it it has it has shown that it's not it's the party of the status quo. And people are sick and tired of the status quo and well, the Democratic but, Party. but the party the bucket.
3: But the Senate personifies that status quo, which is sure that people is. stay there until they are drooling on themselves. Yeah. Right. And in normal cases would have to be in some sort of institution to be able to be cared for. And they're still in the Senate, yeah. right? I mean, the derivation of the word for Senate is old men, <laughs> okay? That's the reality here. But they grow to love being in power. Oh, yeah. when I read And for Con- all the perks. When I, re- when I ran for Congress, uh, a close aide
0: to Leonard Boswell uh, told me that uh, he wasn't going to step down. that uh, they, they, they were trying to talk me out of running against him. And they said, you know, he's 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 like Gollum. He's got the ring of power, and he doesn't want to let go. Right. And that, and that's and a direct he quote unique. from a, and he from he a staff unique. person. I don't think he's unique among any of them. No, there. he's not, unfortunately. I mean,
3: look at Marjorie Taylor Greene. Do you think if she weren't a representative in the House of Representatives, anybody would be listening to what this idiot says? <laughs> but instead, we're subjected every day to her lack of intelligence. Well, I, let's and, go, let's and, discuss something and, local. Let's talk about the, 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 the bill regarding... Um, Child labor in Iowa. Okay. Okay. Which of course is just a copy of bills that have intru- been introduced in other places. Yeah, by the by, Alec.
2: No, that's actually not Alec. This oh, really. Time, this time, I just it's the entity.
3: It no, I would presume so. It's an entity known as the Foundation for Government Accountability through their Opportunity Solutions Project. Oh, bu- uh, some of the beauties brilliant. who are behind this group are the Scapes, you know, Newsmax yeah. people, and of course Leonard Leo, Federalist Society, who seems to be involved in everything. So listen to the messaging for how the you know the expansion of child labor which of course only benefits corporations for the most part because they can pay 4.25 an hour when you're in a training program right. instead of even federal minimum wage. Is um, this is the Republicans messaging. One, it's a freedom issue. You shouldn't have to ask the government for a permit to let your children work, right? It's up to you as the parent to decide that, including letting them work in the place that serves alcohol. Okay. In, you know from 16 onward um, it'll help you. He'll help you pay for college. For real? For real? <laughs> for real. This is this is this is the message. <laughs> I not hear that one. They learn responsibility. Okay. They, it gets them off social media because all they're doing anyway is wasting time in the afternoon on social media. They might just as well be working. Right. Okay. Now, what is what is the you know investigation into what's bad about letting kids work more than twenty hours, which is what this new law goes out to double. Um, so, kids who work over twenty hours do worse in school. They exhibit more autonomy from their parents. I'm not so sure that's necessarily a good thing, right? Um, they, they have higher rates of substance abuse. They don't play sports or do other extracurricular activities. Well, they may or may not, but the point is when you're trying to add all this on, it creates a lot of stress. And sleep deprivation. And sleep deprivation, yeah. exactly. And not paying attention to your school, right? Okay,
0: so horrible policies... How are Democrats here in Iowa, and presumably this might be the case elsewhere, how are Democrats responding to they this? They
3: responded to saying that the Republicans are trying to reinvoke slavery. Okay, I just don't <laughs> find that as particularly good messaging. Why not? <laughs> I mean, argue the merits of this, right? You know, point out that it, 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 hundred fifty 100 plus years ago, getting rid of child labor was seen as a social good. So that children could be educated, so the children didn't have to take on this responsibility. Explain to the people in Iowa, it's just a way of getting cheap labor. It's no different than trying to find the Pacific Islanders to come here and work in meatpacking plants in northeastern Iowa, right? It and and not, if nothing else, explain to them that when they can get cheap labor, who else's wages go down? Yeah, the people Everyone, yeah. and yeah, other people who want to work in the yeah. state. Okay, so,
0: yeah, I mean, we can go on and on about examples as to why the Democratic Party has indeed become irrelevant or more irrelevant than ever to quote the uh, the Democratic source that uh, that shared that with us. But um, let it be said, let's we'll we'll move on. Right. We're going to we want to talk about uh, Republicans for a change here, Mm -hmm. Uh, specifically the Republican presidential primary coming up. And Charles, you've got some uh, suspicions, you've got some doubts as to whether Ron DeSantis will stick it out. We'll find out what your thoughts are on that when we come back from a short message, short break rather, on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week, with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. At Westrum Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrum and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines' East Village. Hi, right, welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Hey, thanks to our sponsors, including psychiatrist Dr. David Drake. If you live in Iowa, wherever you live in Iowa, Dr. Drake can help through the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling offered on a self-pay basis. Contact David Drake, Family Thanks also to Architecture by Synthesis. Owner Mark Clipsham asks that you use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest-lasting materials available. Examples of Mark's work can be found at architecturebysynthesis.com. All right, Charles Goldman, with me, folks, and um, we're going to shift gears here and go from the Democratic side of the conversation to the Republican side, because here in Iowa and in several other states, uh, Republican candidate activity for presidential wannabes is certainly heating up. Uh, we're seeing a lot of Nikki Haley here in Iowa, seen a little bit of Ron DeSantis. Mike Pence has been here. Asa Hutchinson. Uh, Trump was here once, I think.
3: Yeah, he was just here uh, this uh, Sunday, I believe. He spoke to the same group. Oh, as well,
0: that would no, that was by by Zoom. By, by Zoom, I'm by sorry. Zoom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he was here in person. Though, he was about he was social. too busy
3: going to church. That's why he had to send the Zoom <laughs> message to the faithful. Well, I'm sure that would have played well. Yeah.
0: So uh, you know, I, I, we
3: there's a lot there's a lot to go on. Well, Tucker Carlson may be here soon.
0: Do Tucker Carlson's out of work.
3: That's correct. One of the rumors is because he wants to run for the presidency.
0: Oh, I was going to say, maybe I can get him to co-host the show with me. (laughs) And you'd have to step aside, Charles, huh? I would step aside. I would love to. Well, I I think we we should definitely, if,
3: yeah. We should have all three of us here if Tucker shows up. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah.
0: All right. So anyway, seriously, though, uh, you have some reservations uh, about whether Ron DeSantis
3: is in this for the long haul. Well, I mean, DeSantis is actually a pretty interesting figure, I think, and and he's See, sort of a, a media darling, you know. The all the media on both sides, the mainstream media on both sides, glommed onto him pretty early because he seemed like he was going to be the Trump alternative. Now, I mean, who do you think who does Ron DeSantis remind you of the most? Um, and it's to me, it's absolutely clear. Mad. Who?
1: No. <laughs> No, who, which which, who, which Republican does he? remind Which of? Republican does he yeah.
3: remind me of? I think, uh, Trump.
1: No, he doesn't <laughs> remind me of Trump at all.
3: He has no charisma whatsoever. I mean, I don't know Jeb Bush. It. No, all right, keep no, going. he's Ted Cruz. Oh, Ted Cruz. He's Ted Cruz. He's another you know Ivy leaguer pretending to be a, a, a man of the people. Right. Everybody hates him, including the people who are giving money to him. Um, he's a horrible politician. You mean, I mean you mean in terms of policies? His policies are horrendous, but, but just as a politician, he's not very good. He doesn't think well on his feet. Yeah, he won in Florida, but he had he, he set he won, it up. He won to, overwhelmingly in Florida. He won overwhelmingly in a situation where he set it up that he would win. How so? And Trump, Trump's correct in one sense is that, in fact, Trump pulled a much higher number of votes in Florida than DeSantis did. When you say, when you say DeSantis set it up so he would win, what do you mean? Voter suppression there was horrendous. Yeah. You know, and uh, he, you know, had the, he intimidated people from coming with his personal, you know, Gestapo out there to enforce the election rules. He did all sorts of things that guaranteed, and you know, it was the usual inept democratic effort, which really wasn't particularly well funded against him. My point is, is that, First of all, his policies aren't that popular outside of Florida. His his fight with Disney has been a uh, example of his complete incompetency because they played they basically went right around him. Disney did. What well, Disney did. Yeah, and, That's n- correct. N- and now he's
0: talking about going around them with a the prison. Well, you know,
3: <laughs> at some point, you know, would would sink his his candidacy right away. By the way, he's not even a candidate yet. No, right? But he's he's not declared. So, what would sink his candidacy right away is when Disney says, you know. You want to take away the major- the biggest employer in Central Florida? I think maybe we'll go down to Texas. Or maybe we'll move back to California, you know, and we'll have a second place in California instead of having Disney World. And, you know, you can take this over and uh, you can run it from now. You think Disney will play that card? They could. They don't have any reason not to. It doesn't matter because they've, already, they've moved, they, they have outsmarted him already. Um, the culture war that he's running plays great in Florida, but doesn't even play well with Republicans elsewhere. You know, of course, Trump's base loves it. Well, I mean, yeah. But, but he's, that's his point, is that everything he's doing is just competing for Trump's base. They're not going to leave Trump for DeSantis. Why? Because they think he's smarter than, than Trump? They, they're not going to believe that he, DeSantis he, was he, sent by God. He to, is smarter know? than Trump, and that's not saying a lot. Well, I understand that. But the point is that the kind of Republican that would care about that doesn't like DeSantis. Nor do the independents. I mean, if you're somebody who's well-educated, do you really want to ban books? Really? Because one person in the class... It's playing well. I mean, look at at how well it's playing in some rural communities. It plays in rural communities really well. That's correct. Some. Yes. So he's, he's he's playing for the same voter as Trump. He offers them nothing particularly different from Trump. And actually, I would point out about
0: books... It plays well, and unfortunately, unfortunately, it plays well in some suburban communities as well. It does play
3: in some suburbs, which communities, are, that's kind of a... including places, places, like Bucks County, right outside Philadelphia. Yes, in some parts of those communities, it plays well. But a lot of other people, including you know suburban moms that are potentially Republican voters, are asking the obvious question: If thirty people are in the thirty kids are in the class, why does one person? oftentimes somebody who's not even got kids in that class get the right to tell you that your kid can't see that book. They have just as much right. You as a parent have the same rights as these activists. Okay, so
0: so again, DeSantis running for president potentially on a, a strong culture war platform. Uh shameless. How's I mean, it how's
3: it any different than Trump? How's it any different than all the other ones? And he's going to argue They're that all and be he he argues that
0: he's success, you know, Trump's endorsed candidates lost. DeSantis, meanwhile, you know, creamed the Democratic opposition in Florida. He's not going to mention voter suppression, of course. Right. But um, his, his talking points might compel uh, Republicans who want to make sure they beat Joe Biden to think, OK, well, this is the guy that's more well, electable.
3: Except that the problem is, is that a lot of his uh, legislative supporters have disappeared. He's down to about two people in the House of Representatives. From the, fl- from the Florida DeSantis? delegation that still support DeSantis. So how many were there at one time? There was excess of 10. And why do you think the other eight have dropped off? Because they see he's a loser. Yeah. And, and, and what's also happening is DeSantis, the, even the people who are giving DeSantis money never liked him. He never remembers their name. He never <laughs> thanks anybody. He shows up late. Right. And literally, the other thing is, is that a whole bunch of people who helped DeSantis, including his campaign manager for 2018, when he first won the governorship, are now working for Trump. And they know exactly DeSantis' weaknesses. Okay, I mean, they've already shown a a commercial. Well, I'm sorry. Trump has already accused him of a history of pedophilia and being gay. Based on what? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. And being gay doesn't matter. Being gay. Right? they're running an ad now in which they show DeSantis because somehow they know that DeSantis eats pudding with three fingers he puts three fingers in his pudding See, you know a real a real a real conservative Republic would only need two fingers <laughs> that's right I mean come on well, the point is three is that fingers Trump, that's excessive Trump ha- Trump clearly understands that his only competition at this point is DeSantis and he is focused laser focused on DeSantis right and and so DeSantis is kind of stuck now with Okay, can he peel away some of the Trumpers? And what he's come upon is that he wants to peel away the anti-vaxxer Trumpers who, you know, are holding it against Trump that he, you know, financed the government at the time that he was president, financed the vaccines for COVID. Right, right, and he's had to answer at some of his rallies where people were booing when he talked about the vaccine, so he stopped talking about the vaccine. <laughs> of so, course, he did. Right, and so what DeSantis is doing is he's trying to go for this group by aligning himself with these anti-vaxxers, and you know he's he's big on that now with this guy he got from California from UCLA who's like cooking all the data, you know, to show that like everybody's dying who got the vaccine from cardiac disease, but. Um, but the thing is that DeSantis—there's also lots of video of DeSantis early on when he was, like, anxiously awaiting the arrival of the vaccines, mm-hmm. the first deliveries. And so it's—again, it, it's he's, he's weak okay. if so, that's the way he's going to So let's up. say you're right, and, and DeSantis decides not to run. Well, I, I I don't know if he's not going to decide not to run. I think he he may well because I don't think he can win. He's probably better off waiting to see if maybe the the Big Macs well, get, get Trump before— I, to, me, to me, there's absolutely... <laughs> he has the run. to run. To me, there's no doubt who's going to win the Republican primary, and that's Donald Trump. does no I, doubt.
0: I would absolutely agree. Yeah. Uh, and, but, but but plenty of people disagree. But if DeSantis were to drop out, DeSantis drops out, and you've got Asa Hutchinson, you've got Nikki Haley, you probably have Mike Pence, I don't know. Yeah, all uh, of whom
3: are, like, you know, polling at 2%.
0: Yeah, well, with, with DeSantis gone, Pence or Nikki Haley
3: might poll better. Um... Perhaps. I mean, clearly Haley has more visibility. Pence obviously has plenty of visibility, which is why he's not going to pull well. Um, <laughs> I, you know, he's, he's, the thing is, the only thing he has to run on is that he actually did the right thing in terms of what happened on January 6th. Yeah. Other and, than that, and barely, barely avoided a right. hanging. Other than that, all they have to do to get rid of Pence is just play the obsequious cabinet meeting and all the other times that he basically you know, just kowtow to Trump, and Trump will just eviscerate So again, again the, the biggest argument within, Republican,
0: within the electorate generally is that don't nominate Donald Trump if you want to beat Joe Biden, because Trump will lose to Joe Biden a second time. Do you think that's the inevitable outcome of the general election if, Biden, if, uh, if, uh, if uh, Trump wins the nomination?
3: Yes, there's no person in the United States who's hated more than Trump.
0: Well, no, you don't, that's, no, there's no person in New
3: York who's more hated than Trump. No. Yeah. In general, in the United States, his disapproval rating is in excess of 65%.
0: He got 71 million votes. That's correct. And lost. He, he got more votes than any other
3: presidential candidate in history, except for Joe Biden. I understand that. And he got more. He got, what, 11 million? But Trump, million? Would, he would evoke the same reaction this time. No one's going to stay home when no, Trump becomes president. Here's the, the, the problem, problem Charles. Here's,
0: here's the problem. You're wrong. Uh, here, <laughs> here's the problem. Here's uh, the problem. You know Biden, despite doing some things that people should be impressed with, and again, I'm, I've got very mixed opinions about Biden, especially on climate. Very disappointed overall. But the um, people aren't going to remember the stuff that they might have supported if they thought more about it. And all they're going to remember is, here's a guy who let us down left and right for one reason or another union climate environment you name it there's going to be more than there's plenty of reasons why somebody's going to be disappointed with Joe Biden and top of the list is going to be he is so old
3: <laughs> trump is only 2 years younger than i know him.
0: but biden is older and he see you know i mean trump always even as a younger person says ridiculous things Right. Joe Biden has begun to say more and more things that indicate that there is a slippage there. And I can say that as somebody who first talked with him back in 1987 and played pool with him in 2006. Right. He is not the articulate guy he used to be. Okay. And yet he will, even though he has some opposition, um, Robert Kennedy Jr. and now Marianne Williamson, he's probably going to win. That's a safe bet. Well, if those two are the candidates, I think that's pretty true. I think, they were, I think if, he has, if he had any any opponent at all, he's going to win. There's no I mean, Democrats like... This is, again, this is the status quo party. They're going to nominate the status quo candidate, who is also, of course, the president. So, you know, it's it's like when Al Gore—even uh, though Al Gore wasn't president, he was vice president. Mm-hmm. He had one opponent, Bill Bradley, who he creamed, because Democrats like to nominate what appears to be the safe bet. I, I, I would so say a, a, bigger,
3: p- a bigger danger to Biden is not Trump. The bigger danger to Biden—and again, I'm, blank, I'm blanking on the name of this group that's out there, uh, you know— basically saying that they're they're bipartisan, they want no labels, this no labels group. Yeah. And they are spending lots of money, donors unknown, um, to get on the ballot in um, many, many states. To get who on the ballot? Well, they don't have anybody yet, but essentially it's going to be like a Jill Stein thing. Maybe it could be you or me. Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> the, the thing is you only need somebody since the, the election because the Electoral College basically is decided in five or six states now. Sure. Then you only need to take away a small tens of thousands of votes mm-hmm. from the, a Democratic nominee. How's that for the democracy? Yeah, yeah well, yeah. it's a
0: great system. Gosh. So, no, but I, but I think, if, okay, I, I'm not sure. I don't know how the no labels movement is going to play out. But I'll tell you what, I think if it's Trump versus Biden, I hate to say this, but I think Trump could win. Because there'll be a oh, huge course. chunk of people who are staying home because they're fed up with Biden. They're fed up with Democrats. They're not going to feel—they that don't remember how bad Trump was. They're not going to turn out in droves to defeat him like they did in 2020. That's my concern.
3: Um, I, I, I think people are so tired of him. Even some of the Republicans are so tired of him. They're, they're sick of the chaos he created and the turmoil that they will come out and vote against him. The
0: dissatisfaction with the status quo is so deep that I don't,
3: I would not write him off. Well, I mean, but that's because there are people I, like you who it's like, oh, he didn't do what I want on climate exactly. So no, what I, are you going to do? I, I told Joe Biden I'd vote for him, and I would. Right.
0: I mean, I you know. I, mean, it's, I can't, yes, I, agree I can't do. say how I'll vote for anybody on yeah. an FCC regulation. This, this is why
3: a parliamentary system would be a lot better with more sure parties and of more choices. But nevertheless, this is what we're stuck with.
0: Hey, we got to take a short break. Charles, when we come back, uh, we're going to be discussing the myth that America feeds the world on our Farm and Food segment. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Clipsham asks that you use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest-lasting materials available. Examples of Mark's work can be found at architecturebysynthesis.com. That's architecturebysynthesis.com.
2: At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures, great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766.
0: Welcome back to the Fallon Forum, thanks to our anchor sponsor, Gateway Market, That's Central Iowa's premier good food store bringing together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate, personalized service. Gateway's welcoming environment in downtown's Sherman Hill neighborhood encourages discovery and honors the simple pleasures of the table. If you're looking for quality foods with a community focus, check out the good food difference at Gateway Marketing Cafe. All right, so Charles, uh, years ago, a fellow state representative when I was on the Hill, uh, this person farmed, and they used to tell me and anyone else, my farm feeds 125 people. And that statement usually accompanied some version of America feeds the world. And here we have this week uh, uh, Senator Chuck Grassley saying, and this is a tweet, and of course, since it's a Grassley tweet, it has lots of ridiculous uh, abbreviations. He says, um, it's, it's this week every year we plan to plant seeds. Hashtag #cornwatch #soybeanwatch uh, 80 degrees last week, 40s lately, can't plant with snow in fields. We hope for normal weather so 2% of population who are family farmers can produce food for 98% who don't farm. Okay, because we're all eating corn and soybeans. <laughs> well, uh, I mean corn, almost all of it goes to either ethanol or animal feed. Or laboratories to make high fructose corn syrup and a bunch of other things. Correct. We're, mean, not eating, we're not eating that. That's correct. I, we're and, not eating soybeans and, either. And certainly
3: I, I wouldn't be proud of the monoculture that we've developed here because soybean and corn are basically everything that's on the inside of supermarkets, um, none of which is particularly healthy. All the processed food that everyone's so concerned about, all yeah. of that is based on soybean and corn at this point. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. And, you know, the other question I have is, so what? 2% of the population feeds the other 98%. And you know why that is? Because of mechanization, because of advances. I'm not sure it's a good thing. I I think it would be be better to have more people involved in agriculture. I I think, yes, it would be because maybe people would have an appreciation. And we'd avoid the waste in in this country of the bins of pounds, billions of dollars of food we throw away that spoils and everything else. And we're
0: seeing this trend. There are more and
3: more people getting involved
0: with direct marketing of food that they grow. Right, and that's great.
3: Right, I, I think that's great, but I mean... As populations increase, you're not going to be able to run the Jeffersonian agriculture.
0: Why should populations continue to increase? So, First of all, in some parts of the world, in China, it's already declining. In the U.S., it's declining, except for immigration. Why is that not a good thing? I mean, we've already taxed the resource base of this planet beyond its capacity. That's fine.
3: I mean, I I agree with you that (laughs) it would be better if we didn't have the same rate of growth. But, okay, so but let's 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 look at policies that would promote that. So first of all, in the United States, the main policy that promotes that is that we're killing our young people with drugs and guns, right? That's what that's what the life expectancy decrease in the United States is about. Yeah, and what we, well, what's life expectancy here now? It's, uh, I mean, compared to the rest of the world, it's we're we like are we yeah. like 40th in the world or something like that? Among among the countries that would you would think would be commensurate in terms of resources yeah yes so um in china obviously you know they went with the 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 policy of only having you know one child right to try to do that that has not worked out particularly well but nonetheless their population has declined in india they tried actually for sterilization that yeah. actually brought down a number of governments that's horrible but right. <laughs> i think unfortunately technology allows you to have more people alive because of the of the you so, know robust structures. Wait, but, but when you t- when you talk about this heavily mechanized agriculture you're talking
0: about chemical applications you're talking about uh, soil erosion you're talking about you know decline in rural jobs you're t- talking about the loss of biodiversity you're talking about lots of problems that well, I'm stem not, I'm from not, this type I, of agriculture. I, I, I'm not
3: denying that, but and again, I, I, don't,
0: I don't fault farmers for going this route. That's where the subsidies are, right? You know. But let me ask you this: so, it's, you know, we talk about. I mean, Grassley says like 98 percent of the people don't farm in the U.S. Okay, true. true. Mm-hmm. But globally, there's a higher percentage of people who farm, although that's changing. But still, you know, the, the U.S. Um, this whole America feeds the world. Okay, so what about U.S. farm exports? Uh, well, those have apparently dropped incredibly uh, according to the uh, environmental working group uh, study done a few years back in 2004 the uh, the US contributed 78.1% of the food aid to
3: the world to the hungriest countries of the world that dropped to 48.9% i well, mean a huge uh, that's drop not that's in not that's not about america feeding the world that's simply about how much we're giving as aid and some mm-hmm. of that is yes a, a decrease on our part but some of it is also an increase on from countries like China who are, you know, trying to make inroads into Africa to sure. secure resources.
0: Well, and, and anymore, a lot of a lot of our exports don't go to the hungriest parts of the world. They go to the parts of the world that can afford to pay us for those exports. So, I don't know, I, I just get, you know, Grassley's just well, repeating an old... this is, this is old... not what
3: Grassley's saying, though. I mean, he's saying that what we grow in the United States feeds the world. I don't know that he's saying... That it's about our aid increasing. I mean, what is the because what is the statistic in terms of that? I'd have to dig deep to find that. But the uh, the bottom line to me is that you know
0: th- there's this myth that we sh- we are feeding the world that we have some responsibility. I mean, I think we have a responsibility to be generous. Uh, we are a land blessed with much wealth, but uh, the best form of generosity when it comes to food, in my opinion, is to help areas of the world that are struggling with food security to become independent, to help them develop sustainable systems that aren't going to need to be, you know, propped up with foreign
3: support from time to time? Well, I mean, you know, you have to look what happened with the removal of the Ukrainian grain and how it affected, you know, the countries in Africa and yeah. some of the Middle East. So,
0: Well, Charles, I got I to gotta wrap it up here. Thanks for joining us, Charles. Uh, thanks to our guest, Katie, uh, Katie O'Hara. Uh, And to our our entire team, also thanks to our small business partners, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Western Optometry, and Dr. David Drake Family Psychiatry. Thanks also to our nonprofit partners, Iowa Physicians for Social Responsibility, Bold Iowa, and Birds and Bees Urban Farm. And thanks to the Des Moines Irish Session for providing our bumper music. And again, to our team, uh, thanks to... uh, Sherry the Vampire Slayer Herdina, Forrest not Gump. Determan, Dr. Charles Mr. Empathy Goldman, uh, Kathy, my dear wife, Burns, anyway, and myself Ed Fallon, the ridiculous recovering politician. Thanks again, folks. We'll be back next week with another hour of Cutting Edge Talk Radio.